Welcome to episode 14 of the Burning Bush Podcast, where we share the message of the Bible while enjoying a good cigar. Thanks for stopping by this week. Hope everyone's having a good week so far. Uh, I know I am. I just got to visit with my daughter and her family who came in from New Mexico last weekend, so we had a really, really nice time. Haven't seen her in a while, so it's good to be back with family again. And this week, I am smoking the Punch Gran Puro Nicaragua GPN 6 Maduro Toro 6x54. This uh, is one of my daily smokes. I keep uh, boxes of them in my humidor at all times. I usually get them pretty, uh, for a pretty good price on CigarAuctioneer.com. I usually get them for between $60 and $70 a box. So at that price point uh, and, and the, the quality of a cigar it is, you just can't go wrong with that. So I like to keep these on hand at all times. And uh, with that, let me go ahead and go on over to the uh, Punch website and read you the notes that they have on the Gran Puro. Punch Gran Puro Nicaragua gets its full-bodied profile from its robust Nicaraguan fillers and binder, giving smokers strong notes of pepper, cedar, and leather. As the cigar builds in body, Smokers will experience an incredibly rich and savory flavor profile due to the Connecticut Broadleaf wrapper. Gran Puro Nicaragua is a perfect representation of Nicaraguan tobacco. And the wrapper is, like I said, Connecticut Broadleaf, and filler and binder are both Nicaraguan. Sizes are the GPN 4, which is 4.875 by 48. The GPN 5, which is 5.5 by 54. The GPN 6, which is the one I'm smoking, the Toro, is a 6 by 54. And the GPN 7 is a 7.5 by 54. So those are the notes on the Punch Cigars Gran Puro Nicaragua, which will be linked in the show notes. Now we've got the cigar business taken care of. Let's go ahead on over to Mike Kaiser's book and uh, get into the reading this week. It's going to be the last section in chapter 3. It's called The Final Betrayal. After Solomon's death, ten of the twelve tribes revolted against his successor. 1 Kings 11, 41 through 12, 24. The kingdom of Israel was divided into two parts by tribes and geography. God's family was now a broken home, so to speak. It's pretty sad that many kings during the period that ensued had never even seen a copy of God's law. 2 Kings 22, 8-13. The northern part of the divided nation the ten tribes that rebelled politically, immediately plunged themselves into spiritual rebellion. 1 Kings 12, 25-33 Instead of showing believing loyalty to the God who had given them the land and supernaturally brought them into existence, most of Israel betrayed God. This is why the prophets who roamed about the countryside preaching during this time compared the spiritual rebellion to playing the whore and spiritual adultery. 
It was a vivid analogy. The southern part of the country, two tribes, went into spiritual rebellion more slowly. But gradual sin is still sin. Abandoning God never goes well. As the Bible says in one place, be sure your sin will find you out. Numbers 32, 23. As he had done at other times, God let his people exercise their freedom and pay the consequences. In 722 BC, the northern part of the nation was eventually overrun by a people I like to call the Klingons of the Old Testament, the Assyrians. If the Lord of the Rings is more familiar to you than Star Trek, think of the Assyrians as the hordes of Mordor. I like the analogies because the Assyrians had a well-deserved reputation for cruelty. They scattered the ten tribes all over the ancient world, breaking up families and robbing them of everything they owned. The two remaining tribes in the southern part of the nation were conquered by the Babylonians a little more than a hundred years later, 586 BC. Thousands of Israelites were forcibly exiled to Babylon. Let's be honest, if God had forgotten about his people at this point, we'd understand. They had rebelled time and time again for well over a thousand years since the time of Abraham. It's hard to avoid the conclusion they got what they deserved, but that isn't how God works. Rather than just calling it quits, God decided that he still wanted a human family. But getting his people, and the rest of humanity, back into his family required a change of tactics. God had made a series of covenants with his people, but people are, obviously, mere humans. They fail, a lot, and with predictable regularity. The rest of humanity had been assigned to supernatural beings, the sons of God, Deuteronomy 32.8, that had by now become enemies of their creator, the God of Israel. Things were complicated. God had a two-part solution to all this. When the last children in God's family were on the verge of exile, God prompted two prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, to tell people that they were not completely forgotten. God would make a new covenant with his children, one marked by the coming of his spirit, Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, and Ezekiel 36, 22 through 28. There was a new day coming. But the new day coming didn't address the question of how God could honor the older covenants without scrapping or changing them. A lot of Israelites rejected God and worshipped other gods. They showed their contempt for him by breaking his laws. This grieved God. He wanted to honor his promises, but so many of his children were seduced into worshipping the gods of other nations. That was the path of death. Remember, because of what had happened in Eden, every human being was destined to die and not have eternal life unless they turned to the true God and believed in his love and promises. Far too many Israelites forgot all that. 
They couldn't just pick and choose gods whenever they felt like it from a spiritual buffet. They had to believe in the true God and keep believing. The situation was especially problematic when it came to Israel's kings. God had promised David that his heirs would inherit his throne, but many of them turned away from him. God couldn't ignore this lack of believing loyalty. He just couldn't scrap his promise. That would be like admitting the whole thing was a bad idea. And a God who knows everything can't have a bad idea. So how could God honor his promises to a people who had rejected him and who were estranged from him? They needed new hearts. They needed his presence to guide them. What was needed was a descendant of Abraham and of David who could be the ultimate king and perfect imager of God. That descendant also needed to overturn the curse of death on the human race. But how could a mere human conquer death? He'd have to be God as well. How was all that supposed to work? No problem. And that's the end of chapter 3, uh, the final section entitled The Final Betrayal from Mike Heiser's book, What Does God Want? And again, I'd encourage everybody to check out the uh, links in the show notes. Check out Mike's books, uh, The Awakening School of Theology, uh, Mike's Naked Bible Podcast, and uh, just take advantage of everything that's, that's there that Mike has to offer. Uh, You'll really learn a lot. I know I have in the last few years. Um, actually, I've actually been following Mike since probably 2005, 2006, somewhere in there. But uh, when he started his Naked Bible podcast back in, I think it was 2013, 2014, he started a, a weekly podcast teaching. That's when I really, really started digging in and then uh, enrolled in the Awakening School of Theology I'm in my last semester of the two-year course. So so check out Mike's books, everything in the links, and uh, take advantage. And like I always say, have a great day, have a great cigar, and God bless. Mm-hmm.